Welcome to another episode of In Dark Places, broadcast from a secret location hidden somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. I'm your announcer, Mr. Haunted. If you want to be on the show and tell your true story, send us an email to indarkplacespod at hotmail.com. That's indarkplacespod at hotmail.com. Stay tuned for another episode with your host, Junebug. Welcome to a month of Mothman in dark places. Thank you, Jimmy. This is the very first week out of five weeks that we'll be talking about the Mothman. Joining me on the first episode of a month of Mothman is Steve Ward. Steve is the host of High Strangeness Factor on the Paranormal UK radio network. He co-authored the book High Strangeness with Mark Randall. He has been investigating UFOs, the Mothman, and all matters of the unexplained for the better part of 50 years. I'm honored to welcome Mr. Steve Ward to the show. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Been fascinated with the Mothman uh, since the movie came out in uh, 2002. Somehow, I was always into aliens and UFOs and stuff, but somehow the Mothman story just escaped me. And uh, I found out about it in 2002 and just been hooked on it ever since. I went to the festival for the first time in uh, 2010, I think it was. I have talked to other people that uh, were alerted to the Mothman uh, with the film. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where uh, the Mothman's kind of a paradox. People don't know whether he's a uh, flesh and blood or some kind of an apparition. So I, maybe he falls through the cracks. I don't know. But I, uh, I, I go, uh, I think I'm a little bit older than you are. I've got maybe a few decades on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, when I was... Uh, when I was in junior high, I was uh, I grew up in uh, around the Detroit area, and in uh, Michigan, March of 1966, we had the the wave of uh, UFO sightings. It was a quite a UFO flap, and a lot of uh, uh, really credible people were seeing these things, uh, police officers and so forth, and uh, uh, towns like Ann Arbor, Dexter. Uh, uh, Hillsdale, they were seeing these, and there was uh, was Frank Manor, uh, Frank Manor's farm, uh, in uh, in Dexter. There was a landing there, and uh, he was a farmer. He was very credible. Project Blue Book got involved with it. Doctor J. Allen Hynek, when he was still attached to Blue Book, came there to check it out, and uh, of course that is where the infamous phrase or word, if you will, swamp gas. Uh, appeared because uh, Heineck was doing now at this time period he was still attached to the Air Force he still had to walk a fine line because he had become he had begun to believe that there was a lot of credibility to this when originally he was a skeptic and kind of a debunker but uh, so he suggested that some of the sightings in Hillsdale might be due to swamp gas well that's all the, the news media needed was the, the answer to the UFO mystery was swamp gas. So they could run back to their phones, you know, uh, uh, phone the story in but way before the Internet, and that was it. But uh, uh, so, you know, I was uh, – of course, I, again, I was in junior high. I, I didn't have uh, access to a vehicle. I couldn't play UFO investigator. But, you know, this stuff was on the news all the time and in the newspapers. So it was, it was pretty fascinating. But then just a few months later – in November was the first major Mothman sighting before they were even calling him Mothman. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, the two couples, the Scarberries and the Mallets, were chased down uh, uh, Route 66, no, Route 62, different different route. Uh, and uh, uh, when they saw this winged humanoid creature with red glowing eyes in the old, uh, by the old North Power Plant in what they call the TNT area, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, they... Uh, that, that hit the wire services. That went all over the world. And I thought, wow. So in a sense, I've been kind of following the Mothman ever since. It was a little bit later. I mean, the, the Batman TV show was on at the time. The, the really kind of a campy, uh, a satirical uh, with Adam West and, the, and uh, you know, the, the over-the-top humor. And so some, uh, they, they believe some uh, creative copy editor who, and we don't know what his name is, uh, dubbed uh, this thing Mothman. It's kind of a play on Batman. So, uh, and, and the ir- irony, of course, as, as you know, as being uh, somebody that has, that has looked into this, uh, this thing didn't look like a moth at all, you know. So, and even, and the, even the, the, this majestic statue that you, you can go down into the heart of Point Pleasant near the Mothman Museum and right by the riverfront there uh, is a very stylized representation of the Mothman. And we've all seen, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of illustrations and representations of whatever this was that were were that are pretty fanciful but uh, so that's uh, you know i've been uh, and i and i started uh, uh, i discovered john keel early on I, in fact i even saw john keel on one of these old syndicated shows out of new york you know the old tv sets that had uhf you know where you could get the uh, the channels like i don't know 50 and 62 and all that you had to tune them in well they they would care one of them was i think got channel 50 in detroit and they would uh, they would get all these really cool syndicated uh, TV shows like uh, Les Crane and uh, the the first shock jock uh, Joe Pine. Well, there was a guy, a very kind of a refined guy with a beard, smoking a cigar, called Alan Burke, and he had Ivan Sanderson on one time. Now, Ivan Sanderson, of course, was a friend and colleague of John Keel. He's the one that's probably most known for writing. Uh, the Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life. He's also written some f- fantastic uh, books on UFOs, and he's mentioned uh, extensively in the Mothman Prophecies. Well, he was the guest talking about the Bermuda Triangle. But like like even now, nowadays, you know how they have the uh, these talk shows and the uh, – the, uh, some people from the audience can go up and talk in a microphone to everybody. Well, John Keel goes up, a, a young, slim John Keel in his dark suit, his beard, a little bit uh, balding, a little bit. And he's, uh, you know, talking. It was about this, this uh, subject at hand, about disappearing ships and planes in the Bermuda Triangle. But I thought, that's really cool. A friend of mine actually met him. But uh, that's another another fun story. So I, I never got to meet John Keel. You know, as you know, he went to... Uh, the 2003 Mothman Festival, and we'll be talking. Well, you're part of the Mothman Festival, and so am I. So we'll definitely be talking about that. But uh, he was there in 2003 when they unveiled the uh, the Mothman statue. It had the cover on it. I remember seeing a a, a segment on CBS Sunday Morning with Bill Geist. You know how he would do that as kind of a, a fun puff piece at the end. Well, he's there uh, covering the Mothman Festival and uh, talking and, you know, to some, you get little sound bites of some of the original witnesses. And John Keel's there in all his glory in his white suit 
and uh, talking to Bill Geist, and he says, uh, you know, I, I came down here uh, for a day or two thinking it would be, you know, just, just a short uh, story, and he, it, it turned out to be more of a, a, a occupation for me. So uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty well done, and uh, it treated the witnesses fairly well. So I, I guess uh, uh, I started uh, – I, I guess maybe I'm rambling a bit, but the point is that uh, – John Keel didn't get the Mothman Prophecies book out till about a decade after the events. But in the meantime, he did write some articles like in Flying Saucer Review, the, the great British uh, uh, UFO publication that started in 55, uh, and Saga Magazine, and a, a few others. So there were places where he did talk about the Mothman, but it wasn't until uh, the mid-70s, 75, 76, that he finally, in man, I know it didn't sell well in the beginning, but I was the guy that was waiting breathlessly for that book, man. And I was haunting bookstores waiting and has actually bought it in hardcover with a dust jacket right off the shelves. Man, I couldn't wait to get into that. And then a year later, I, uh, you, know, you, know, you know how you read a book and you want to see what the area looks like? I went yeah. down to Point Pleasant because I had to see the area. And, man, I wish I had taken more photos at the time because I don't remember much of it. But I did find the uh, that the old North Power Plant was still standing there. It uh, wasn't uh, demolished until the 90s. And uh, so – and I, I stayed at the Low Hotel. I, I drove into town. I, I was staying with some friends in Buffalo the, the weekend before. And I, th- I got an extra day off work. I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna explore Point Pleasant, you know, at least for at least for a morning. And so I got there late at uh, late Sunday night, and I uh, found the low hotel by by happenstance. And uh, and then the next morning, I had a, had a map from the of the TNT area. I'm not sure where I got it, uh, but uh, a friend of mine had been down there some time before, and uh, and, and I went out there. And uh, this is before. The farm museum was set up there. They've got this great farm museum where they restored a bunch of old buildings. And across there is is where the old North Power Plant used to stand. And that's where the Scarberries and the Mallets first saw this, this whatever it was. And uh, so I was I walked out there. I had my thirty five millimeter camera, and I see this guy in a hard hat and coveralls walking toward me that met me halfway <laughs> and he asked me uh what are you doing here and i said well i was trying to sound cool like uh, i didn't say mothman because you know, they called it the bird so i said well you know i'd heard uh, 10 years before about uh uh about people seeing the bird and and so forth and so he the guy rolls his eyes and he says yeah i remember but he was a really good guy he was just concerned because it was such a ruin and so uh, kind of treacherous inside. He let me go inside and take all the photos I wanted. He just wanted to make sure I didn't fall and hurt myself. And even back then, this is uh, 77, I think. Yeah, 77. Uh, even back then, it was uh, uh, he was saying that they're going to they're gonna knock this thing down. In a, in a short while. Well, it took another couple decades before they finally did it. But uh, I and I and I got to tell you, I can't find these great 
black and white photographs that I took of the of the power plant outside and inside. And I know there's somewhere in my attic. And I every every time I'm up there, I'm praying to the uh, to the Mothman gods that I will find these great photographs and I can have them blown up and and have them displayed in the uh, museum. But uh, so anyway, that was kind of my my long introduction to the the Mothman. And then you you said uh, you told me. Uh, your first festival was what year? It was either 2010 or 2012. Uh, my okay. son was born in 2010. I think I went that first year he was born just to kind of get away from him crying and stuff. <laughs> well, they, I think my parents would have done the same thing. My, my dad told me that when I was born that they didn't know what I looked like for the first six months because my mouth was open all the time crying. But that was, that was a running joke. But uh, my first uh, festival was 2006. And I happened to, uh, you know, Fate Magazine, which is still being published, thank God, that great digest-sized publication that's been around since, uh, I think, maybe the late 40s, but certainly through the 50s. Uh, they, they would have this, uh, uh, a list of the conferences coming up, and I saw Mothman Festival. So I, I told my wife, I said, I'd love to go to that. So she went and made reservations at the low <laughs> and uh and we went down that first year and i was like i it was like i was just uh, i had this uh, enormous smile on my face <laughs> from ear to ear and you know what it's like to, to go to a place like that where uh like-minded people you can talk to without them snickering or giggling or making stupid jokes right yeah and, it's a good feeling and and two days of speakers, and you get to 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 meet these people and talk to them. And the speakers are all very uh, accessible and very interesting people, you know. So people like well, I've been I met Stan Gordon one one of the years there. I had been reading his stuff in uh, in Saga's UFO Report in the mid seventies, you know, uh, and, and and Rosemary Ellen Guiley's stuff in in Fate, and uh, just uh, and uh, Nick Redfern. You know, I started hearing him uh, being interviewed on uh, radio sh uh, stations when he was still uh, in in England. So uh, it's just uh, it's just such a uh, and, and then you've got the uh, you've got the geography. You know, the the mountains. It's right on the Ohio River, across from the state of Ohio. Uh, it's got all that history, and then of course it's got the the really strange going on that happened in the '60s that. Uh, that uh, culminated with the uh, the collapse of the Silver Bridge back in in '67, 13 months to, to the day of that uh, first major sighting. So, but uh, when did you uh, start? To, you're you're one of the Men in Black, one of the dreaded Men in Black. So do you do you go around practicing silencing UFO witnesses just to get in shape for that? <laughs> I did that the first year that I went and. I dressed up. Uh, I had read on the internet that uh, people dress up like the men in black and stuff, and I was like, "Well, cool! I want to do that." And I didn't have a clue who anybody was at that time, and I was just walking around up and down the streets. Yeah. And uh, as I was leaving that day, uh, John Freer called at me and said, "Man, you are the creepiest man in black I've ever seen." <laughs> well, like, that's okay. coming the from from the Frick brothers. That's that's a pretty good compliment because those guys are have a kind of a natural creepiness to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, of course, they play the uh, the Men in Black by day, and they fly the Mothman by night. Because uh, now I'm also one of the tour guides. Have you ever been on one of the tours going through the TNT? I went through the TNT tour in uh, 2019, I think it was, or uh, 2018, and okay. I had been wanting to do it for years, and I finally did that one year. Uh, I have not done the hay ride and all that stuff yet, though. I need to do that. 
Oh, okay. Because there is, uh, I, I've been fortunate. I took over Carolyn Harris's place. Now, Carolyn Harris was a just a, a tremendous lady and a real, uh, 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 just a, uh, a talk about a pillar of the community. She ran Harris's Steakhouse, also known as the Mothman Diner. And when you walked into Carolyn's restaurant, it was like walking to mom's kitchen at home, you know, and uh, she she passed on a few years ago. She uh, she started the remembrance ceremony that they have every December 15th in uh, in Point Pleasant, where they call off the names of those that had died the 46 people that died on the bridge. And uh, she had uh, lost her little boy on the bridge when it collapsed sir her ex-husband and her son were crossing at the time and so she never would never talk about it for for obvious reasons but it's it's amazing that she and jeff wamsley were the ones that that co-founded the mothman festival in spite of all this she knew that even though it was a negative thing at that time that she could turn it into something positive and, and for the community and uh so uh you know, she was just. Uh, I, I met her uh, the first time I was down there. Not, not I mean, not in '77. I I might have actually eaten at her diner mm-hmm. back then. I, I remember eating at a little restaurant off Main Street, but it's just so hazy in my memory. I can't. Uh, I I have to have somebody. Uh, I have to go through hypnotherapy so I can remember mm-hmm. all the stuff that I can't remember from that uh, that amazing morning in uh, Point Pleasant. But. Uh, yeah, she was uh, she was just such a great lady, and uh, the uh, I, I actually uh, uh, the uh, I went down for the fiftieth remembrance anniversary, and she and, and she had died prior to that. Uh, but I met a guy the next day that was crossing the bridge at the time in a semi truck, and he went to the bottom and he survived. A guy named Bill Edmondson. And he's also mentioned if you go into the great, uh, the incredible Mothman Museum that Jeff Wamsley, the curator, has put together, uh, that that is so well done. Um, he's got all the the history, the articles. He even has. I even donated a uh, a magazine that my uh, high school UFO club produced back in the late sixties. It's got a big uh, illustration of Mothman on the cover, uh, but. Uh, it's got uh, memorabilia from the film. It has it. There's nothing. Uh, there's there's nothing cheap about it. You know, when sometimes when people put together museums, it's kind of hodgepodge, and some of it doesn't look too good. This list looks. It's perfect. It's pristine, and it has all this great uh, history. And uh, there's also the the shop where you can you know there's no shame in buying a Mothman T-shirt <laughs> to support the the effort. And then the the merchandise is just so well done. But uh, okay, I was going somewhere with, with this with the uh, the museum. It, it'll come back to me. But uh, yeah, it's uh, he's he just such, done such a, a great job. I remember the uh, the first year I went down there, two thousand and six. I sought out Jeff because you know he's written two books. He co-wrote the first one with Donnie Surgeon Jr. called Mothman, behind the facts behind the legend, and then he wrote a follow-up called Mothman Behind the Red Eyes. And these are oversized books, but they have uh, – he's got a lot of the original 
uh, documents copied from the uh, the original handwritten report from the Scarberries. You know, uh, it, it, and he went back. This is what this is what I thanked him for. He went back and interviewed some of the original witnesses because you know even by that time that was maybe then it was forty years later. People are saying, oh, it happened a long time ago. It's probably it's probably nothing. It was probably just a big owl. Well, no. When Jeff went back and and re-interviewed these people, that some of them were in the Mothman prophecies by Keel. You know that something bizarre happened, and I've I've been able to speak to about uh, half a dozen of the original witnesses. Okay, I know where I was going. Uh, Bill Edmondson, Bill Edmondson, the article about him surviving the bridge collapse is in there, and uh, a friend of mine, John uh, John Lee, um, we met him uh, the next day at the River Museum. Now, the River Museum, uh, not too long after that, burned down. And they've been restoring it and putting it back together, but it's a great historical uh, effort to uh, to uh, talk about the history of the. That's where the confluence of the two rivers come together, the the Ohio and the Kanawha. And uh, so we met him there, and he was uh, he was 88 years old, and that means he was 38 when he was crossing the bridge in a semi with his partner. His partner was in the sleeper cab and never got out. Uh, he was coming from the West Virginia side to the Ohio side, and they were hauling material used in uh, making tires in Detroit. And he told us that – now, you've seen the film, right? Remember at the, toward the end, Richard Gere has all kinds of time to warn people off the bridge. The bridge is going to collapse. Yeah. Well, in reality, it took 30 to 40 seconds. It went down like a series of dominoes from the – uh, Ohio side, I believe, to the West Virginia side, and that was it. It was gone. And uh, so he, he told us that the if you imagine the span of the bridge, it started to wobble back and forth, and it, it tilted so much that he had to hold on to the steering wheel to keep from sliding across the cab. And then everything let go. He hit the water. He hit with such force, his, his body was pushed through the passenger window while it was still up. Now, this is this is December 15th. It's in the low 20s. The sun is almost down. It's, it's the, the bridge is full of Christmas traffic, you know, uh, because it's so close to that time of year. And uh, he's forced through the window, right arm first. His right arm is hurt. He, is that, he showed us he still had a pin in it because it was it was damaged so badly. And so... The good news was he was out, and the currents were actually pulling him up toward the surface. The bad news is that what I call the curse of the 1960s pant cuffs, because his pants were pulled down from the force of hitting the water, but they were dragging behind him because they couldn't go around his shoes. And he said something, debris from the truck, the bridge or something, caught his pants and started to pull him under again. Can you imagine you're in that inky black freezing water and you think you're coming to the surface and you're being pulled down again? Well, he somehow breaks free. He hits the surface. His right arm is completely worthless. Uh, he sees some of that material that he was hauling floating on the surface. There's a slit in it. He puts his left arm through to stay buoyant. And fortunately, now, now when, when this happened, people, ships, b boats, they mobilized to, to get people out of there as quick as they could. And uh, so this a tugboat captain saw him, uh, maneuvered the boat 
to prevent him from continuing downstream, and they pulled him up out of that water probably moments before he would have died of hypothermia. And, of course, they rushed him to the hospital, put heat on him and so forth, and he was there a couple of weeks. So, but he came down that, that day to pay his respects to those that had, uh, that had perished. And, you know, you could just see it in him that he, you know, people like that wonder, why me? Why did I survive? You know, but he was just a, a great guy and he was there with his, his family to support him. So it was just a, it was great to be able to talk to him about that experience. Yeah, that's a bad lick. That's, a, that's cool that you got to meet him, though. There wasn't many at all that survived that. Um, you know, I don't, I'll have to have to check that. There's a, the, the Breach Museum, or the River, River Museum, rather, was selling, uh, and I'm sure the Mothman Museum does too, some great books on that. And I, I know you can Google it and find out, uh, you know, how many cars went down and uh, how many people went down and how, you know, the, the ones that, that, of course, we know the 46 that, that didn't come back. And they're all uh, represented on the memorials there. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, that was just, uh, I've never heard an experience like that. You know, somebody telling me that one-on-one. I mean, we've all seen, you know, a, a dramatic uh, rescues on, uh, on on endless reality shows. But uh, that was just, uh, it was amazing. It just really, really blew me away. But uh, I, I wanted to mention about the, going back to the uh, the hayride. There's, there's three of us, and, I, and I, I like to kid because we're the three elites that give the, the, only, the only TNT tour and the only Mothman Festival in the entire world. And, of course, one of them is Jeff Wamsley. He has one card. And the other is a young lady named Brittany Sayre. And she was a Miss Mothman some years ago. They have a they have a Miss Mothman festival. She's actually won several pageants and is very active in, in that uh, community. And a, just a really great – I call her a great kid because I'm 68, so you guys are all kids, right? But she uh, she does one of the tours as well, and uh, and I do. So uh, it's quite an honor to be one of those people that uh, that take you around. On the, it's it's, it's kind of like an old-fashioned hayride, only uh, – Jeff is the only cart that is kind of flat with the stacks of hay on it. Fortunately, uh, mine has uh, comfy seats on it, which is good. Uh, but uh, and we've uh, Brittany and I have uh, gotten smart, and we've gotten those uh, little uh, speaker things you can put on your belt, you know, with that are battery. You charge them up; they're battery powered, so that people can hear you because you know you're being pulled by a loud tractor. And you're trying to project your voice back to everybody so they can hear you. And uh, so that works out pretty good. But uh, uh, I have uh, been instrumental in, uh, like last year, I I took a bunch of my old uh, Halloween remnants that used to be out in my front yard. And they've been sitting up my attic for a while. So I thought, well, maybe I can display these in the TNT area. So to just add a little bit of uh, a creepy ambience to the whole thing, uh, you know, you might see a a giant creepy spider or or a skeleton or something but of course there's a guaranteed flyover of the mothman engineered by uh, uh, it's a very ingenious kind of a retro uh, seat of the pants engineering uh, mothman that you'll you'll get guaranteed you'll see it at some point going through the tnt area as you know the tnt area is creepy as heck in the daytime without the mothman and mm-hmm. uh, at night, it's really creepy. And you'll, you'll see the – people should go and check and look at the old uh, 
the old photographs of the the TNT area. That's where they, during World War II, they they made uh, dynamite and, and uh, munitions for World War II, and they stored them. There's a, a hundred of the old concrete. They call them bunkers or igloos. Uh, that they uh, they had them uh, set up so that there was. Uh, 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 foliage growing all over them so that if the enemy ever flew over it would look less, just like terrain like hilly terrain or whatever and that's where they store these munitions and they're still these things are still standing some of them have been sold to private efforts and but a lot of them you can go back in and and people have uh, you know conducted uh, EVP sessions there and they claim to see shadow people and all that sort of thing Mothman doesn't seem to show up much anymore but you know he had his he had his heyday I think so he's probably in retirement at least I imagine he is, but uh, uh, so that's uh, uh, yeah, that's a really I and mean, you can go back there. You can there's a lot of areas you can explore during the day or night of that area. But uh, so we there's a, just a certain uh, we when we start out on the hayride, you, if you look across the uh, the road, you'll see the the area where the old power plant used to be, and then they take you in and take you kind of a take you kind of a loop and and there's just there's been different things set up there over the years a couple of uh spent a couple of uh, jeff has a couple guys in ghillie suits kind of hiding in the shadows and they'll jump on the uh, they'll jump on the ride and, and give you a a, a good uh, a good thrill uh one year they had a uh they don't have it anymore but they had this uh it took it you know the uh the the umbrella things they use uh for the tables out in your backyard to, to keep the oh, yeah. sun off. Well, they took two of those pretty good sized ones, uh, spray painted them silver, so they looked like a UFO. They put another smaller one on top to make it look like a dome. And the, there was an opening in the bottom where they had a, a smoke machine in there, so it looked like smoke and vapor was coming out. And then they had some uh, uh, flashing lights to go around it. And when it got dark, it really looked like you had some kind of a UFO, and they, they had a guy off off to the side with a rope, so he could kind of lower it, you know, and, and raise it up really slowly. It looked really good, except in the daylight, you could see the man behind the curtain, so to speak. But uh, that's unfortunately that's no no longer there. But uh, there's always something something there to kind of uh, entertain you. But like I say, you don't really need anything uh, in the TNT area. It's uh, it's got its own. Uh, uh, its own, I don't know, ambience, its own uh, sort of feeling. Yeah, it's a creepy place in there. Yeah. I've got to really do the hayride this year. I, that's probably like the one thing I've never done of all the years I've been going. So I need to. Well, that, that's one thing that. we should tell people that the moment you hit the the festival that Saturday morning, uh, find out where they, there's a little booth there where you can, that's the only thing you have to pay for. They're about $5 for the tickets, but they will sell out because they, they have to, they, they go kind of late into the night, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people go through, but you'll definitely want to get there early and get your ticket because if you wait too late, you won't be able to, uh, to take the ride that year. Yeah, it goes fast. There's a big crowd there. I think yeah. uh, 2016, I think it was, like their biggest crowd ever. There was like 20,000 people there or something. I, 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 I don't huge. know. I've heard, I've heard I, think, I think maybe closer to 12, 14,000, but still, it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's all the way up and down Main Street. Uh, one year it got really crowded, but uh, they got, uh, what Jeff did was he extended the, the basic festival part much further down main street so you you have everything there you have food you have the uh what do they call that the skyline thing the uh 
that you can oh yeah zipline i forget what the, what the proper name is but you can slide i've never been on it they've got bouncy things for the kids they've got you know everything they, they even have a, a a replica a full-size replica of the stay puff marshmallow man from ghostbusters plus there's always always a bunch of uh, guys dressed up in the ghostbusters uh uh, uh uniform with the uh with their uh oh come on don't cross the streams the uh proton packs but if you look at the cross street there uh on, on uh, of main street uh which which parallels which is on the side of the museum and then it's where the mothman statue stands that's where most of the uh the booths are that the tables of the speakers that that are, are there that's where you'll find them and uh you know the uh, a lot of uh you, there's there's t-shirts there's artwork there's books it's it's just it's absolute heaven for people like you and I that really appreciate this stuff and really have delved into these mysteries over the years. Yeah, other people just don't get it. It's uh, just a real cool atmosphere. Uh, I remember when I first met Stan Gordon in uh, 2013. There, I was went back to work the next day. I met Stan Gordon. Everybody's like, "Who?" <laughs> I was like, "Come on, man, yeah, Stan I, Gordon." I, I, I know. That's uh, you know, you know, you're a geek when <laughs> you you brag on the Mothman Festival and people look at you like you're crazy. So what can you do? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's such a uh, it's such a good time, and uh, we uh, usually a group of us get together on uh, on Friday, and uh, uh, a lot of times we'll meet at the uh, Village Pizza in town there and village pizza used to be tiny's restaurant tiny's restaurant was the place that the scarberries and mallets actually stopped before they went to the police station that night that they saw the mothman and uh and also there was a classic sighting of the mothman later on over that area and uh who was her name what was her name mary hire of course was the uh newspaper reporter that uh was a colleague of john keel but she had a good friend named oh boy i i hate it when these names escape me she actually spoke there once uh this lady campbell Dottie campbell i I apologize if i've got her name wrong but she used to live next door to mary hire and so they used to you know they're hanging up their 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 wash to dry and 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 mary hire is telling her stories about these these very strange men very strange men in black that came into her office and were creeping her out. So, you know, you get this is from a, a, another source that these things really happened. And uh, perhaps maybe uh, people don't know too much about the, uh, the original sighting, but that was uh, November 15th, 1966. And uh, it was, uh, well, the TNT area back then was a place where, you know, uh, 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 men and women would find uh, romance and uh, they uh, they called them the locals called them parkers and uh, people that would park there and so uh, the scarberries and the mallets were two married couples but they, they go would go back there and look for people that they might know and they would do they would do something they would call chasing parkers so they would pull up behind uh, some people and perhaps in a warm embrace and turn on their headlights of their car just to give them give them a little bit of a, a jolt and uh, so they were out there that night. They didn't see anybody they knew. And that's when they drove by the old power plant. And they saw this thing. Uh, Linda Scarberry, who I had a chance to talk to at some length, said it seemed like it, its wing was caught in the fence line. But they saw this thing. And there was kind of a delayed reaction because it was so bizarre, this man-like thing with wings. And they, the, the thing that they really 
uh, focused on were the red glowing eyes. And so they got the hell out of there. And this thing chased them down. Uh, you they, you uh, would go out the uh, fairgrounds road, maybe. Uh, you that, that you take that out to Route 62, you turn left or go south, and you're heading into Point Pleasant. So they got up to speeds close to 100 miles an hour, which is pretty scary on that road, that two-lane. And uh, so finally, they, they got rid of it. They went to the police station. Uh, Jeff Wansley has their statements written out uh, in, in the Mothman Museum. And uh, so that was kind of the first – it wasn't the first sighting. I think uh, – well, uh, uh, Merle Partridge had a sighting of something uh, closer to Parkersburg a couple days before that, and his dog Bandit disappeared. He didn't actually see the Mothman. He saw some kind of uh, like red rotating lights or something. And then there was supposed to have been another sighting uh, a little bit earlier at a, uh, a cemetery uh, some distance away. But this is the one that really set it off. And then uh, over a period of about a year, John Keel, uh, he first came down into the area. He heard a little bit about something from Gray Barker, who was a big uh, UFO researcher in uh, 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 Parkersburg. No, no, uh, Clarksburg. And uh, uh, and uh, he, uh, if you read the Mothman prophecies, I think you'll find out that he, uh, Keel was the first attracted to the area because some kid was supposed to have had a cat named, get ready, Thomas, all right, that had wings. <laughs> and this kid had it in a had it in his uh, shoebox or whatever, or some kind of a box, and he would charge charging people ten cents to take a peek at Thomas with these wings. Well, unfortunately, eventually the wings kind of uh, faded away, or or there was just a couple little bumps of gristle on this this thing's back, and there was some dispute. Some other woman said that Thomas wasn't his name at all; it was something else, and that was her cat. So. Anyway, it, uh, Keel thought it would be a nice little human interest thing. And then he finds out about this uh, winged creature from uh, from Gray Barker, and and John Keel tell you know that the story is told in the Mothman Prophecies, which is another interesting story. The book how it came about itself. He uh, was invited into the homes of uh, several of these people. He first met Mary Heyer there. He heard the the witnesses tell their story firsthand, and so he was very impressed by that. But uh, even uh, uh, Connie Carpenter, who was one of the original witnesses, saw this thing take off uh, at the Mason County Golf Course. And the thing is that this thing was about seven feet tall. Uh, the wingspan was about 10 feet. That doesn't make any sense that to have a wingspan that small to lift something that big. And by the way, Mothman didn't always flap his wings. He would sometimes uh, – he would put the wings behind him take off straight like a helicopter without flapping them. So you have this real paradox. You have something that even seemed like it left footprints sometimes, seemed like it had certain a certain degree of physicality, but acted more like a projection or apparition. Um, but uh, the the book, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, Keel had kind of lost interest in it by the time his editor said, it's time to put together a book on The Mothman. So he uh, he, he he said he pulled out his tattered briefcase and he put together a bunch of uh, articles. And, and uh, uh, this, this story is told, by the way, by Brent Rains. Brent Rains wrote a book called uh, John Keel, The Man, the Myths, and the Mysteries. He spoke at the festival a couple of years back. And uh, this is a really a great book. And he knew uh, he never met Keel, but he uh, uh, corresponded with him and had many conversations with him on the phone.
And uh, he said that, uh, well, Keel told him that the the editors, well, they, they, the editors did some tampering. There's some, uh, Keel is, is credited with some of the mistakes in the book, and there are some errors. But I, I think that uh, he had a long conversation with John and Tim Frick, and they found out that uh, uh, he had been plagued with uh, editors messing up his stuff for a long time. But uh, they also cut out half the manuscript of the Mothman Prophecies. Now, some of that survives in his next book called The Eighth Tower. So about two-thirds of the Eighth Tower is from its material originally intended for the Mothman Prophecies. So, uh, but, uh, and the other thing was that I, I was surprised about, you know, the, the film, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, gets some of the essence, some of the truths of the, of the book. But they, you know, they update it, more, it's more contemporary, and they have to had to leave out a lot. And I was a little, the first time I saw it, I was a little disappointed because I wanted more of the uh, of the essence of the book. But, uh, but Keel told uh, Art Bell when he was on, he said he, he liked the movie. He said the one thing that they really zeroed in on was the paranoia I felt at the time. And if you recall, one of the chapters in the book, The Mothman Prophecies, is paranoiacs are made, not born. But, yeah, he really, really, uh, really felt that. But uh, the other thing was, uh, if uh, there's a, uh, you know, the small town monsters people that did uh, Seth Breedlove. He did the, the Mothman of Point Pleasant. And he also did the follow-up, The Mothman Legacy. And I'm one of the talking heads in there, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm, and yeah, I'm my, just my, my, my road to stardom, I guess. But uh, uh, Richard Haddam is also in there. He's the screenwriter for the Mothman Prophecies. And uh, it's really interesting to get into his head and what, what he was trying to do. Well, Brent Rains talks about how uh, excited John Keel was when the people that finally did do the Mothman Prophecies, when he read that screenplay, he was actually giddy because he said he was telling a friend of his that they have finally gotten some of the, the basic truths right. And uh, because he was really disappointed with some of the earlier attempts at trying to turn his book into a movie. So he was uh, he was very pleased with it. And, the, and that's one of my favorite films. I mean, I watch that thing over and over again. Yeah, I love it, too. I watch it every year around Halloween. It's just so creepy. It puts you in the mood. And uh, if people will will uh, will check out the extras on the DVD, you'll find some in some of the deleted scenes. You can see the, how they were trying to get even more of the book in, but they only had so much time, so they had to leave out certain things. But uh, yeah, so it's the the whole thing is a uh, and and John Keel. You know, I, I can't uh, John Keel advanced the the field of the the paranormal and the unexplained by heck at least a century uh he uh there there are several anthologies out of his various articles over the years and you know his the book that really i don't know if you have you read uh operation trojan horse no i've not read that one okay that one uh, came out about 1970 about five years before the mothman prophecies and that's where he pulls everything together and I did not like that book at first because I was very happy with UFOs being from other planets and, uh, you know, cryptids being undocumented creatures and so forth. But it's where he, he, he pulls everything together, uh, cryptids, UFOs, uh, 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 haunting type phenomena. Uh, you know, it turns out that a lot of people that saw the Mothman had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena afterwards 
when they got home. So there's a, there's a lot going on there that we don't understand about the whole thing. But uh, yeah, John Keel is uh, is somebody worth pursuing, and uh, he had uh, like let me give you an example. One of his catchphrases was "Ask the contactee what they had for breakfast." Well, he didn't literally mean if they had uh, sugar frosted flakes or or scrambled eggs. He he meant find out this you know this person that's had an experience, find out all about them. Because he found that someone that has seen a UFO or seen a Bigfoot or whatever, they oftentimes were people that had experiences all their life. They had, uh, you know, electronic interference in their house, haunting phenomena in their house, uh, strange visitors, strange phone calls. Uh, and, and I do that now when I talk to people that have had missing time or whatever. You find out that they've had, you know, if you're just focused on aliens you're not going to ask all the right questions. You're not going to find out all the stuff that has occurred to them. So uh, he, there's just so much he has done for uh, this field. And there's still a lot of people that uh, dismiss him. And uh, they, they don't like the message, so they want to dismiss the messenger. But, uh, yes, definitely worth pursuing. Uh, and, and, and nowadays, there's so much of his stuff is, is finally in print. You know, there was a time when uh, I think Mothman Prophecy stayed in print. But so much of his stuff was, had been lost, and you might find one of his old books like uh, Trojan Horse or whatever for several hundred dollars online. But now you can get just about anything by Keel. Definitely worth checking out. I've only read the Mothman Prophecies. I need to go check out his other work. Oh, heck. Uh, the uh, uh, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, which was retitled uh, The Guide to Mysterious Beings. That's where he first talks about window areas when he's trying to come to grips with why these things sort of pop in and pop out, you know, and why do things congregate in a certain area, you know, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other things. Um, his his first book called Jadu is when uh, he had been uh, in the, uh, he's such an interesting guy. He was in the armed services in Korea, and he was a, a radio guy. He would produce radio programs for them. And he, he produced one where uh, he was in Frankfurt, Germany, and they did one uh, uh, about Frankenstein's castle. And they were <laughs> made it sound like the, the people broadcasting there had been attacked by the monster. And I guess some of the MPs came up there to see, make sure everything was all right. Some of the locals, it was like uh, Orson Welles' uh, uh, War of the Worlds broadcast, where a lot of people thought it was real. But he went and he traveled through Egypt, Tibet, uh, and just had a, a phenomenal experiences uh, covered in Jadu. Um, uh, the Eighth Tower, follow-up to the Mothman Prophecies, is definitely worth reading. Um, and then just these, uh, there are many, many anthologies out there about, uh, with, with his articles from, you know, just from, from the, uh, I think even from the 50s, but 60s, 70s, 80s. And the only thing I, I would hesitate, in, in some of these, there are editorial comments that I, I, you know, you don't really need to uh, annotate or editorialize for Keel. So I would just be very cautious about believing some of the, you know, you 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 can make your own decision, but I, I think some of them uh, are unfortunate. But uh, it is it is just, uh, and and a lot of these are on Audible as well. So uh, it's really, yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm going to check with you at the Mothman Festival and make sure you've read some more Keel. So so get get cracking, buddy. Yeah, I definitely got to get the <laughs> Eighth Tower. That'd be great. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
he really was uh, a pioneer, like he said. Uh, yeah. Nobody else yes. in those days would do anything like it. Right, because uh, so many of us were stuck in different areas, uh, Bigfoot, uh, UFOs. Um, or, and sometimes, you know, back, back in the old days when I would get my Fate magazine, I would cut out the UFO article. I didn't want the rest of, the, of it. I didn't, I didn't care about ghosts. That's crap. It's nonsense. And, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, he really, uh, he was just a really innovative thinker in so many ways. And, uh, and, and thank God that his stuff is, uh, is available. I'm kicking myself for not going that year, whenever he had the unveiling of the station. Well, I'd love to I, I wish, there. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. So let, let me tell you one, one story that, uh, a buddy of mine, went to the, uh, this is 1967, right, in New York City. Uh, James Mosley, which was the editor of Saucer News, which was a big publication back in those days, he ran a, a convention called the Congress of Scientific Ufologists. It was at the Commodore Hotel in 1967 and in New York City. And uh, he had uh, John Keel was there, uh, Gray Barker, uh, I was supposed to go, but it didn't work out. My, I, I, uh, my, my, my buddy Kevin, his mom took him. We were in junior high, right? And I guess my parents didn't want me running around New York City, you know, uh, and have and Kevin's mom have to look out after me. But uh, I was, uh, but anyway, Kevin met all these people, and then the following year he went back to the next one. And they found out where John Keel lived in his apartment. So he and a buddy of his went cold and <laughs> knocked on the door. And Keel let him in. It was very gracious. Uh, Keel, get this, was in his pajamas. He was sitting cross-legged on the floor. He's surrounded by hundreds of UFO newspaper clippings. And this must have been, you see, there was a time when he was supposed to have uh, – uh, he was he was researching an article on UFOs that he was going to write for Playboy, but it, the article never materialized. I think uh, some, I think uh, I think maybe Andy Coleman has republished some of that stuff in one of the anthologies, but uh, uh, but I'm sure that a lot of that research became part of Trojan Horse Operation Trojan Horse. So they were there they were there for about an hour hour and a half, and just just imagine what what it would have been like to talk to John Keel for an hour informally like that. And, uh, it was just, uh, so that, that was a great story. And, uh, I wish I, had, I wish the heck I had met him. I like you, I wish I had been down there in 2003, but that would have been a, uh, just an, a, an awesome event. Yeah, it would have been great. He would tie a lot of the stories into like the, the trickster aspect of it, uh, the whole uh, Ender Code and everything. He uh, yes, well, there there does seem to be. Uh, I mean, he he talked a lot about. Uh, he wasn't convinced that these things were extraterrestrial, although he left the door open for some of that later on. But he uh, he thought that a lot of these things were a natural condition of the planet, and he used the term ultra terrestrial, which he actually borrowed from uh, Ivan Sanderson, and Keel used it as a literary device, and it simply meant that. Whatever these entities or this energy or this whatever this force was, that it was probably something that was with us all the time, and uh, and, and a lot of these manifestations. He he said he wasn't really he didn't didn't care whether somebody saw a UFO with a dome or uh, or or how many windows or or nuts and bolts it had. Uh, 
or what the creature looked like. He believed that uh, he needed to understand what the cosmic mechanism behind these manifestations were, because he didn't think that the what people were seeing was necessarily the ultimate answer. He thought that perhaps uh, the only objectively real part about some of these sightings were the strange meandering lights that people would see. And he thought perhaps people were being programmed. They would see the light. They would be, some would see a hairy biped wandering to the woods. Others would see a giant craft overhead or whatever. So, and he was more interested with the effects on the people, uh, you know, uh, dreams uh, and, and so forth. And again, people were having, uh, I talked to a lady uh, from New Hampshire that uh, contacted me a few years ago. She and her husband had missing time. They saw these strange lights coming toward them early one morning. Then all of a sudden, they're not standing next to each other on the porch anymore. They look up and they see this giant black triangle so low it's brushing the tops of the trees in their backyard. And a little bit later, then they, 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 what, what so many people do, they thought, well, that's interesting. And they turned around and went back to bed. You know, like it didn't, didn't register how weird this was at the time. And so a little bit later on, she realized, oh, my God, we, we missed about a half an hour. So she was trying to pursue at the time uh, a hypnotherapist to find out what happened. Now, when she contacted me, she was unsuccessful, but I asked her a series of John Keel-style questions and also really Rosemary Ellen Guiley-style questions because she was uh, a big uh, – a friend of, of Keel, a colleague, and a big supporter of his methods. I met Rosemary back in 2012 at the Mothman Festival. She had a bunch of books laying there on the table, and I was – kind of undecided i didn't know which one to buy and i didn't have a whole lot of money i would have just bought them all but she recommended monsters of west virginia she gave it to me and said oh you got to read this one and she signed it for me and everything and then in 2013 i saw her again i was talking to john frick maybe and she kind of tapped me on the shoulder she said hi and said it was good to see you and everything she was sweet i liked her rosemary that, that, that year, 2006, was collecting stories about people's experiences with shadow people. Uh, the next year, when she gave her talk on Mothman, we found out that a significant percentage of, of people that were having that experience of the, the apparition or whatever those things are, uh, a, a significant percentage were also having classic alien abduction experiences people that were seeing shadow people who would have made the connection so i asked i asked this lady a whole series of questions and to make a long story short uh they were experiencing haunting phenomena in the house she saw a shadow person both her sons were experiencing orb type phenomena in and outside the house um they were having electronic interference um and then i asked her i said this is going to sound like a weird question but have you ever seen anything like a Bigfoot or some kind of an animal that you couldn't identify, knowing that people that see UFOs also have that kind of experience? And she said, no. And then she said, well, wait a minute. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law saw something strange near the property. And whatever this thing was was seen a couple times. They described it as something looking like a black panther but standing on two legs. Okay. <laughs> so – uh, so anyway, if, if the point is, if I was 
that kid back in the 1960s in that high school UFO club, I would have said, oh, wow, cool, missing time. I hope you get to find out what the aliens did to you and would have never known to ask any of the other questions. But people like Keel and Guiley laid the foundation for us. And many others have followed in that footsteps. There's a lot of uh, Jacques Vallée is another great uh, researcher. And they, they knew each other. And uh, uh, Brent Raines told me that uh, uh, Keel would say that, uh, how did he put it? Jacques Vallée would, uh, he was implying that Jacques Vallée was uh, influenced by, oh, that, that he was writing Jacques Vallée's script or something like that. He, he said it tongue in cheek. But actually, if you look at Jacques Vallée's journey, he started out, his first two books were, uh, what, Challenge to Science and Anatomy of a Phenomenon. And he was very nuts and bolts at that time. But then his third book, Passport to Magonia, which, by the way, you have got to read, uh, that that he he writes in the beginning, he says, this is not a scientific book. And he makes the comparisons to uh, uh, various traditions of folklore and some modern-day UFO experiences. For example, we're, we're all familiar with missing time. Well, in the old days... When people had an experience with the the fairies or the elementals, they would also have missing time. They would have this time distortion. They thought that the, 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 the little boy would thought that he was playing a ball with his showing these golden balls back and forth with the little people. And he thought it was just maybe an hour, but he was gone all day. Um, so and, but instead of uh, being taken away to that, uh, I like to say, unscheduled medical examination, with no copay and no deductible, usually with the fairies, they would talk about uh, you know an underground kingdom or a cavern or something like that, or just the land of the little people. And of course, some UFO people, uh, uh, abductees, claim they were taken to an underground base. But there, there's there's much more to that. And uh, uh, Valet quotes the work of uh, Evans Wentz. Evans Wentz. I know I'm giving you guys a bunch of names, but you know how you know how when you get into the stuff, one thing keeps leading to another. There's layers and layers of it. But uh, yeah, it really there, was, there was a man named Evans Wentz around uh, 1911, published a book called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, which you can get a hold of. And uh, he went out there and interviewed people one-on-one, like you and I might do today, asking people about their UFO or Bigfoot experience. So this were not stories that were handed down from a great uncle about an encounter with a leprechaun or something like that. These were allegedly real uh, experiences that people had uh, with these uh, entities, whatever you want to call them. So, uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, some of Valet uh, and Keel's uh, work uh, uh, parallel. There's a lot of great authors. I, I had uh, Joshua Cutchin on my show not too long ago, and he and uh, Tim Renner, have written a two-volume book called Where the Footsteps End. And it's all about the stranger aspects of Bigfoot because uh, some very credible researchers have been out in the middle of nowhere and they've found Bigfoot footprints that just all of a sudden stop. <laughs> and it's not people say, oh, well, the Bigfoot, uh, he walked backwards in his footprints to fool people. or But this is, this is in the middle of nowhere where nobody's going to happen onto this. You know, there's, there's no reason for Mr. Bigfoot to try and fool the, uh, the researcher. So, uh, but there's, there's many, many. Uh, and, and Stan Gordon, his, his, his book was called uh, 
Silent Invasion. He's got two other ones. But Silent Invasion documents the bizarre stuff that went on in uh, 1973 and 74 in southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, some uh, just incredibly weird Bigfoot reports. Uh, you know, if, if, as if Bigfoot isn't strange enough by itself, in conjunction with a lot of uh, strange lights in the sky and, and, and phenomena that all seem to congregate in that, that two, one or two year period. So uh, there's a lot of uh, really, really great researchers out there. But when you talk to them, you find out that many of them were influenced by John Keel. I really liked in uh, Mothman Prophecies where he would talk about the UFO sightings and he would have the exact addresses where he would stay. Like on Wednesday nights, he would watch this UFO and uh, it had the address. And I always want to go check those places out and just but, but sometimes, say that I went there. Sometimes he was very tricky. He was, he was vague because he knew that uh, uh, people like you and I, especially, especially as a younger man, would go out there. It, but the problem was that some people would go out and pester the witness, and they might show their laminated UFO club card from God knows where and, uh, and not know what they're doing. But because I tried to, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because when I went down there that time in 1977, uh, I uh, – was trying to find uh, Five Mile Creek Road, which is the road he mentions that he and uh, Mary Heyer would go out and sit on that hill at night and watch the strange lights go over. Well, uh, John and Tim Frick found out where that actually was. And I'm not going to give the exact location, but if you go, you have to go down Highway 2 down to Gallopolis Ferry, which is still in West Virginia. Not to be confused with Galpolis across in, in Ohio. And uh, you take one of those main roads. Well, you take Crab Creek Road in, but then there's another road you take off. And then another road, which is kind of treacherous, you go up this hill. And that is one of the – I've been up there. That's one of the places where they were seeing the lights. I was up there uh, trying to make sure I wasn't on private property anywhere. I don't want any uh, West Virginians uh, or anybody uh, thinking I'm a trespasser and and uh, exercise their Second Amendment right because I'm harmless, right? But uh, – uh, we never, we didn't see anything. We were up there a couple times, but uh, you can kind of see uh, uh, what you know. You imagine what it was like half a century ago. I mean, some of those hollers are. It, by the way, I'll have to tell you, my my first uh, my first time down there in two thousand and six. Uh, I, I, I was unsuccessful when I was down uh, in nineteen seventy seven. I was trying to get information on my CB radio to find out where Five Mile Creek Road was. Nobody could tell me, and so I, I gave up. So in uh, when I, I went to, I asked uh, Jeff Wamsley and, and another guy about uh, where that road was, and they said, well, they changed some of the names down there, and they so they got me got me in the ballpark. And the guy told me as I'm headed down there with my wife, uh, he says. Don't get lost in them hollers, you know. And I thought he was kidding. He wasn't kidding. As you know, those roads go on forever. And, uh, and, and the hollers, man. I, so, so I, got, I went in there, and I, I still I didn't find the road then. It was later on when John and Tim found it. But uh, I, I was trying to figure out how my – the gas is getting low. And I'm thinking, I don't know where the hell I am. And I try, finally, I came out on Route 35. 35 is on the other river, the Kanawha, right? Am I pronouncing that right, the Kanawha? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, 
nothing worse than somebody that's non-local murdering the local pronunciations, you know. <laughs> but uh, and it was funny because I came when I came down, I came in off of Highway Two, so the the river was on my right. So I come out on thirty five, and the river is I mean it was on my yeah it was on my right. But then it was still on my right, you know, so I'm thinking, how how could this be? It's, you know, something's wrong here. And, uh, uh, of course, I didn't realize there were, that I was on the other river for a, for, for a few moments. And finally it dawned on me, I think, oh, God. But I, I fortunately, in the nick of time, we, we got out of me. If I had, I mean, if I had run out of gas in the middle of nowhere on that Friday of the Mothman Festival, I could still be there. But uh, so... <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, don't get lost in them hollers, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they stretch out forever. <laughs> they do. They do. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, it's uh, the, the people that live back there, they've got a certain amount of privacy, and you know that they want it, too. You know, and I don't blame them. I could just imagine uh, people asking uh, the locals and stuff about that. And uh, it, for some reason, it popped in my mind, like uh, people like us, how we're always looking for UFOs and everything. Yeah. Uh, down here, I'm in uh, Williamson, West Virginia. It's a couple hours away from Point Pleasant. And there's a little flood wall down by the river here. And I like to go out and uh, walk along the flood wall at night. Sometimes whenever I get off work and I'll go and sky watch, look for UFOs and look at the stars and stuff. And uh, I was down there a couple of years ago, and this uh, city policeman met me down there. You know, what are you doing here? I'm looking for <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> the other people just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, did he? Did he? Uh, what was his reaction? He said, uh, "You're just now getting off work." I still have my work shirt on. Everything. Yeah, I just got off work. I came down checking out the stars and everything. He yeah. Said, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> be careful down here. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> That that's the uh, the the go-to explanation probably when you're actually up to something nefarious, but uh, but but no, we're actually looking for 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 aliens and stuff. So, <laughs> um, Steve, this has been great. I'm going to have to let you off here. Uh, okay. I really appreciate your time. Uh, well, it's been I, awesome. I enjoy uh, very much a fellow uh, uh, a festival attendee and a, and a, and a man in black. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and it's been great to, to talk about this stuff with somebody that, uh, you know, has those roots and, and knows about it. And uh, I'd be glad. I mean, there's so much more we can talk about. Uh, I'd be glad to come back anytime. I had a really good time today. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, um, where can people hear How Strange is Factor? Oh, The High Strangest Factor is my podcast. It's on the – you can find it on the Paranormal UK radio network, and there's a lot of other uh, shows on there. Uh, one of the places you can get it is called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, -E -E I guess. And uh, it's every every other week, and I've been on for a couple years, and uh, we cover everything. Um, I'm also a correspondent weekly on Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. You can find that on several platforms, including Spreaker. And that's just a fun show. It's it's Mac show. He's the author of the Wingman series and several other other series. Sometimes it's has a kind of a military theme, but there's a lot of uh, UFO. He he wrote a couple books on UFOs as well, uh, UFOs in wartime and uh, beyond Area 51, and uh, uh, so that's that's a, a fun show. And so and like I say, you can find me in the uh, the Mothman Legacy, uh, Seth Breedlove and the Small Town Monsters people always put together a great. I was very honored to be in it and to be part of a a good uh, uh, production 
like that. Yeah. So, and, and you can find me. Work. Yes, and you can find me if you if you uh, type in Steve Ward on Facebook, but and then type in Battle Creek as in Battle Creek, Michigan, you'll probably find me. You'll find me in the midst of all the other Steve Wards that aren't, aren't nearly as interesting as I am. <laughs> he said tongue-in-cheek. When I was looking to see what books you had written and stuff, uh, I looked yes. on Amazon. There was one uh, like a financial advisor, Steve Ward. And I was like, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, well uh, uh, Mark Randall uh, did a, uh, call, a book called High Strangeness, where he did the artwork. He's a, he's a graphic artist. And, uh, uh, so, uh, and he asked me to write a few of the pieces in there. I wrote the, the John Keel one and the one on the man in black and so forth. And, uh, so that's out there. I'm also, uh, uh, unfortunately we lost Timothy Green Beckley about a month ago and he had this great publishing empire. He was very much like a, like a gray barker in the modern day. And, uh, he wrote a book, he edited a book called Weird Winged Wonders with a lot of great uh, uh, researchers in there like Brad Steiger and Scott Corrales. I have a, a chapter in there on the Mothman. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, you can find, still, you can still find that, I think, but uh, I don't know how long that'll be available. So, and, and like, I, like I told you earlier, sometime, keep your eyes open in the next decade, I, uh, I should have a book out, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Well, I'll see you at the Mothman Festival. Definitely. Looking forward to it. It'll be great. Okay. Will you be be there Friday night? I usually go in for Saturdays, but I might be able to make it for Friday. Well, listen, we we usually get together a a bunch of people on Friday, and we we go to dinner, and we uh, head out to the TNT area. I've got a pair of third-generation night vision goggles, which are great for stargazing. So uh, definitely, it'd be great to to see you there on Friday. Yeah, I'm not uh, trying to make it. I'll be I'll be I'll be there Thursday setting up stuff in the TNT area. So I'll be be busting my tail uh, trying to get all that done. But uh, Friday night we kind of uh, relax a bit and uh, and start to, to get together with people. Yeah, I'll uh, definitely catch up with you whenever I'm there. Sounds it's, good, man. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you, and I'll see you here in about a month. Sounds good. And again, thanks for having me. This was a blast. I want to thank Steve Ward for stopping by and helping me to kick off the month of Mothman. If you've got a cool story you'd like to tell on the show, you can send an email to endarplacespod at hotmail.com. See you again next week with more stories of Mothman. God bless you guys and see ya.